Good morning, sir. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Steve. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Greetings from Nashville. During, yeah, especially during your big week there in Nashville. Thank you. All good. Thank you very Paul, much, sir. Yeah, Paul, I, I, I echo what you said a little bit ago, which was uh, that the, the industry overall is feeling a resurgence. Um, I, I look back to where our sport was, I think motorsports in general, certainly in this country, and you think about what has happened since 2018, it's just a, a significantly um, and incredibly gratifying place to be working in motorsports. Um, because I, I know, particularly domestically here in the States, you know, 2018 was, was a low point for us. And, yeah. um, but you've seen what's happened in IndyCar, what's happened in F1 um, and NHRA and obviously NASCAR in this country. It's, it's uh, it feels great. Right. And I was at a, a sports industry conference yesterday in New York city and, you know, motorsports or NASCAR, you know, we were, we were the bell of the ball, um, which was, we certainly couldn't have said that, you know, in 2018. So yeah, yeah I, echo, I echo your sentiments. Oh, thank you. And, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, I think what we could do here is if we have an outage, I could be the meat puppet that takes the questions from please, the attacks. If please, please do. I mean, like I say, I'm looking for the backup right there. And uh, I yeah. went and made a quick change on something. And hopefully I, it's going to stabilize my my signal. Um, the one thing I was curious about, uh, Steve, is, you know, <laughs> that we talk, talk about the, uh, the next gen car is that, you know, what about the changes coming up here in 20? 2023 and, and reading recently how garage 56 the lamar pro project that um, nascar and 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 hendrick motorsports and chevrolet and it pretty much everybody's working on that there may be some um improvements that are learned from that effort yeah i think it, just to go back jeff to you know i think what was your original question around the next gen car i think the next gen car was um as i said it was a it was a bold play um mm -hmm. You know, going to the LA Coliseum in, you know, in February of, of 2022 was, you know, it wasn't assured that that car was going to be right. Um, we had supply chain issues. It, you know, it was, there was no backup plan. We had no cars that were going to roll off, you know, a Gen 6 car that just, it wasn't there. It was either this car or we fail. Um, and that, that was, um, you know, this time last year, there were a lot of sleepless nights for a lot of people who work in NASCAR because, we weren't sure it was going to be right, frankly. And, but our race teams did their job and they put things together. And that's what this industry does, I think, better than anything. When things are hard, this industry does extraordinary things. Um, <laughs> and then when things are not hard, we, we try to figure out how we can shoot ourselves in the foot. But that's a different thing altogether. Um, but with respect to the, the Garage 56 car, I think, you know, Jeff, and you know as, as well as anyone, we are constantly iterating on our vehicles to make the racing better or safer, um, which is what we're doing right now. So the first order of business was make the rear of the car um, softer is the wrong word, but to have the, that crush panel in the back. Yeah, a little bit more compliance, you know. Right, so, so it would, the, the energy transfer would not be transferring to the driver. It was getting into the rear of the car, into the rear clip. And so we've made some modification with our mm -hmm. race teams 
that was job one and we're excited about that because the safety of the car was critical. The, the car was designed for safety in mind, but it was designed, you know, kind of first and foremost for catastrophic injuries, right? So that you'd saw like a, a Ryan Newman at the Daytona 500 or Joey Logano at, at, uh, at Talladega when he got on his roof and the roof crushed. Um, so that was first and foremost. So we made the, the car significantly stronger. Um, but as a result, the, the rear of the car, which was a little bit shorter, um, you know, we had a, we had a miss there. We we didn't um, realize that the that the drivers would feel the impact of the rear of the car as they were. So the the drivers learned to try not to as as odd as this sound not to to back into the wall. Um, so they were taking measures when they were wrecking, not to wreck and you know and back into it. So we're we're excited about that of what that is going to be from a safety standpoint. And then with respect to Garage Fifty Six, which is you know, the, the project to your point that we are doing with, with Chevy and, and Hendrick Motorsports to have an entrant uh, and an entry into Le Mans next year, which is really exciting and something that Jim France, uh, Jim France's father had done back in the mid seventies. Um, and it's a, a pet project of Jim. He's really excited about it, but we're already seeing some, some of the, uh, the effects um, that could come from the design of that vehicle particularly as it re relates to trying to get um, better racing and for short tracks and, and obviously for road courses. Um, the car itself is, you know, it, it's essentially a sports car. Um, and I'll, I'll get out of my depth pretty quickly, but it's, uh, you know, with the bigger brakes, the bigger tires, um, it's just a, a really, you know, some of the shortcomings on, on, road courses in particular and short tracks that the old car had, um, you know, slipping and sliding and, and, you know, guys making mistakes that this car, it's, it, it doesn't do that. And so I think there's some things that as we always do, we will continue to iterate to make the racing better. And I think garage 56 is, that wasn't the design of what it was to do. The, the original thought was to, to bring a stock car to, to Le Mans and, and you know, kind of showcase it for the for the Europeans to see that this is a big, loud, you know, good-looking vehicle that's going to run 24 hours. Um, and that's kind of what the original thought process was around the the Le Mans project, the Garage 56 project. Well, like I say, it seems like it's already producing some some good results and, and great information. And to your point, I mean, that's the one thing that having been around the sport as long as I have and seen seen the different. Um, I guess I'd call it generation of cars throughout the history of NASCAR. It's always been a work in progress. I mean, you, you, you never build a perfect car. I mean, there's no such thing. Even, even the, the last generation was not perfect. We kept working on it and we would continue to work on it as long as it was uh, in competition. So yes, you, you, we expect it to get better and better and better. And I mean, but it, the, the surprise, I think, for a lot of people, including myself, 19 different winners. I mean, you got a 36 car field, almost, you know, over half the field got to go to victory lane this year. I mean, which is unheard of in our industry. No, I agree. I mean, if you, if you include, uh, if you include all-star where Ryan Blaney won, we had 20 winners of our 38 races. I like that. I like, I like round numbers. That, I like round new, numbers. Set a new record. And, uh, <laughs> I think that was, um, we were thrilled with the competition of the car, right? It was, 
it is hard to argue with, you know, 20 different winners in 38 races, to your point, with the 36 car field primarily, you know, kind of week in and week out. So more than half the field won a race. Um, you know, the first three rounds of the playoff, we had three non-playoff drivers win those races, which is extraordinary. Um, so the car itself, I delivered um, particularly well. Obviously, the super speedways are always a, you know, a, a significant um, and entertaining racing, but some of the races that we saw in the intermediates, we have never seen racing like that. Um, and again, it was week in, week out. You know, it's, as I said earlier, we've got some work to do on the road courses. We got some work to do on on the short tracks, but I'm confident that we're going to do that. And but if we could go back to the Coliseum or before that first race and say, hey, you're going to have 20 different winners, and you're going to have five first time winners. I'll sign me up for that. Um, it, it was a great year for us. It was great. And then, you know, it was a little bit hard because, you know, some of the safety issues, you know, with the Kurt Busch's, um, you know, injury and, and Alex Bowman's injury you know, takes a little of the shine off that, you know, we, we don't ever want to see drivers hurt. We just don't. Um, and it's our responsibility to make sure they're as safe as they can be. Um, and so we're excited about the changes that we'll make to the rear clip and, uh, into the bumper, and um, I, I think we'll, the car will be um, significantly safer um, than um, than where it was this year. Well, another you know priority from NASCAR was the schedule, and, and again, you guys, you know, have been making over the last three years. You made a lot of uh, changes in. It. I mean, what where is your mindset right now as far as the, where we are today and where you are looking on down the road? Because Again, you know, we're going places where we've never gone before. Yeah, I think, um, you know, to that point, next year's our 75th anniversary, Jeff, as you mm -hmm. know, and um, had a lot of discussions with uh, with Jim France about um, about racing a street course. Um, and so we will race our first street course next year at Chicago. Um, you know, that that took some convincing, right? And I think part of the, the issue really in, in the solve for this uh, is the car itself, right? The, the old car, I don't think we would have had good racing on a street course. It's just, we wouldn't. Um, but I think, you know, particularly given some of the changes that we're, that we're looking at, that Chicago street course is going to be competitive and it's going to be fun and it's going to be something unique and different, obviously, since the first time we would have raced on a street in 75 years. Um, but I'm, I'm excited about the schedule variation. What the fans have said is they want schedule variation. Um, and that's what we, to your point, we've given them over the past, over the past couple of years, you know, the 2021 schedule was kind of the, the largest number of changes we had ever experienced in the sport in the modern area. So I'd say, you know, 50, 51 years, right. That, that was important, you know, that, and what we've seen when we do that, when you go to a St. Louis or you go to the Coliseum, or when we go to Chicago, um, or some of these other changes that we've made to the schedule, you see ratings increases and you see sold out facilities, right? And, and that's really the responsibility that we have to this industry um, and to the race fans themselves and to put on great racing, which I think we're, we've, we've done a good job of. So we're going to continue with schedule variation. You know, obviously our schedule has been announced for, for 2023. The big, the big news on that schedule um, you know, change is, is really two. Um, one is kind of a nod to a, to a throwback, um, which is to, to have the all-star race go to North Wilkesboro. Um, we were really excited about that. That was, um, 
you know, for every Chicago street course, for us to be able to do something to recognize the past, particularly on the 75th anniversary of the sport, I oh, think yeah. was terrific. Um, and obviously the, the excitement around that race is, uh, is terrific and our, and, our, and our partners at Speedway Motorsports will get that facility where it needs to be and, um, um, and, and they've got some work to do. Um, but we are confident it's gonna be a, a terrific race and just the excitement around it, uh, it is, is fantastic. And then a month later, a little more than a month, we'll go to, to the Chicago Street Course. In 2024, we'll continue to have schedule variation. I don't know what that's going to be, um, but we are going to take races. You know, if, if there are facilities that we own um, and they're not performing as they should perform, then we, we need to take that race to somewhere else. Um, again, that's our that's the promise to the fans and to the sponsors and anyone who's our, our broadcast partners, anyone who's involved in the sport. Um, you know, that's the you know, that's the promise we have to them. We're going to continue to iterate and innovate around around the schedule. Well, again, I can assure you, uh, I've been keeping an eye on those folks at North Wilkesboro. Uh, and they are working their tails off. Everything's looking so great up there. And I think the, uh, the, the best thing about it is the buzz in and around Wilkes County as a whole. I mean, they are so excited. Uh, I'm, in fact, I'm going to be in a uh, Christmas parade this uh, coming weekend. Uh, and North Wilkesboro is going to have a float on there. And, and, and there's a lot of people, as, as we like to say around here, you know, going back to our, to our roots, and again, the timing is right. 75 years in North Wilkesboro, you know, was one of those, you know, foundation tracks. Uh, so it's, it really has a great feel to it. And, I, you know, I commend SMI, but more importantly, you guys getting behind it and, and endorsing it and embracing it, because I think it's going to be a big winner for you this year. I agree. Well, you know, 2020 was also a landmark year for NASCAR when you navigate the pandemic, you know, your strategic way you approached it, social justice, several bold initiatives. You know, what do you look at as far as social justice play piece right now and how has this helped NASCAR, you know, forward its diversity, you know, efforts, you know, throughout the series? Yeah, I think 20, 2020 was a pretty extraordinary year, Jeff, for, for everyone in our industry. Um I was struck when we, on March 13th, when we shut down and, and left Atlanta and really no understanding how or when we were going to get back to racing. Um, you know, that was, those were dark times. Um, and I think if, if you look at how this industry came together again in, in under extraordinary circumstances, right? We had to get you know, for the race teams, the three counties where the race teams are, we had to get the counties to allow them to go build race cars. Um, we had to get, you know, talk to governors and, you know, health commissioners and different folks to just get back. Um, and we were able to do it. And so 71 days later, you know, we went to Darlington, South Carolina, and the, the governor of South Carolina, uh, Governor McMaster, was, was fantastic and said, we want you back. Um, and, and that was important to have the first one, because after the first one, it all started to go right. And then, you know, Governor Kemp and, um, you know, the governor of Tennessee and, you know, Governor DeSantis in Florida, they all just started to go right. And then, you know, some of the, you know, the states um, that were a little more cautious, right, the, what I would call the blue states versus the red states, they started to open up as well. And they wanted to 
to get us back. And that was an important thing for us. Um, so being the first major sport back um, was important. And I remember having conversations with, with Roger Penske during that time, he and I would speak, you know, you know, every couple of days, you know, I letting him know what we were doing because so we could be in lockstep because it was important that motorsports was had a united front in what we were doing. Um, and that, that was important. But the, to your, to the second part of your question, Jeff, was important as well, right? Which is the stance we took on social justice. And then, you know, for folks around the world, you know, the banning the Confederate flag is, I think it's, they don't really understand probably the importance and the, you know, kind of the difficulty for certain individuals that we would do that. Um, but it was important to do. And, I, and it was important because there were segments of the population that, that the symbolism of, of that flag was, was not in line with their wanting to participate or feeling welcome at our facilities. Um, so that was important. Um, and the, you know, the support of Bubba and around Talladega and some of the difficult things that went down there, it was just a, a very emotional kind of three week period in, in June of 2020. But I think probably one of the most important three weeks in our history. Because what we have seen is we've seen our existing race fans embrace what they wanted, right? Which is, hey, we, we want other people to come, you know, and be welcome in our great sport. Um, they do. Um, and they want great racing. And so we've given them great racing. And, but we've also seen a lot of new fans come to racetracks. So the face of the fan is changing at our facilities. I mean, Jeff, you've, you've seen it when you go to races. It, it looks different. The crews look different. The drivers look different. The fans look different. The owners look different. Um, and that's the path that we're on. You know, Michael Jordan and, and Pitbull don't, don't become owners if we didn't take the stance on social justice. And so we're, we're not, as a sport, we're not here to be a, a leader in social justice. We're not. But we do want to be a leader in, in diversity, right? And let people understand that we want diverse audiences to participate in our sport whether they're fans, drivers, owners, whomever. Um, and that's what we're doing. So, you know, we, we don't want to be a flashpoint for social justice, but we do want to be a welcoming place to have people come to our sport. Um, and that's exactly what's happening. So if you look at our television audience in two years, our te television audience with people of, of color, we're, we're up 40%, you know, albeit smaller numbers for sure. But I'll take 40% this year, next year, the following year, because our audience is growing. Um, so if you think about you know, the, the three key segments for our audience growth right now are women, young people, and people of color. Um, and for 15 years, when I was at NASCAR, all we talked about is, hey, we gotta get younger and more diverse. You can say that, but it's a whole lot harder to actually have that become a reality. So you needed a flashpoint, which is June of 2020 to allow those things to happen. And that's what's happened for us. And it's exciting. Um, and we'll continue that growth and we'll continue that growth and let people understand that we want them to come participate in our great sport. Well, NASCAR has always said we're one big family. And I think now you can say that with an added confidence and, and, and affirmation that this is what we really mean. I mean, we want everybody here. We want you to bring your kids. We want them to grow up in this sport like many of us have and understand what it means when we say hey we got your back 
We may fight like all cats and dogs come Saturdays and Sundays, but you know, it's a kind of family way. You know what I'm saying? All said and done, we respect one another. And you you can be a fan way uh, and and be just as passionate as an NFL or Major League Baseball, you know, college football fan. Uh, and we give them that opportunity. And I agree. Uh, in recent years, uh, seeing a, a renewed effort by families, you know, dads and, and not, not just grandparents, I'm talking about moms and dads, to get their kids to a racetrack, you know, to show them the, the new talent that's coming out. You know, Kyle Larson, for example, I think, you know, he kind of, he made a big spike at one time right there because he came back and after his, um, you know, working to get everything squared away in his life and be, make things, you know, that, that fit the way it should within the NASCAR parameters, you know, he's got a lot of fans. And, and I think that's, that's the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, you can't write it, you can't dream it, you know, it's got to happen and it's happened in our industry. And I think it's huge uh, that we've been able to do that. And you mentioned uh, the women. Uh, I mean, we were at a, a seminar not too long ago there at Charlotte Speedway, you know, with, you know, women in, in motorsports. And it, it, here again, a statement saying that they want to be in motorsports and they want to be in NASCAR. And now we have a platform and I think a better opportunity for them to be successful than ever. No, I agree. I think, you know, I, I was struck, you know, I, I worked for the NFL for almost 14 years and the sense of community that I felt when I came to NASCAR was unlike anything that they have at the NFL. Listen, the NFL is a great brand and a great sport and they're a behemoth. Um, but it's not the same, you know, the sense of community, the sense of family that exists in the sport, it's just different. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, kind of the traveling circus nature of, of motorsports, right? Cause you, you travel together, you compete together to your point, Jeff, you fight, you know, like cats and dogs, but at the end of the day, you're all part of the same community and you may not have getting to the end goal may not, people may not take the same road to get there but they all want the same thing. They want the sport to grow. They want to compete um, and they love this sport. And, and that's, um, I think that's what's so great about motorsports. It's just so different than stick and ball sports. Um, very, it's just a different animal. So, and, and we've seen, you know, talked about ratings increases, but we've seen families and kids and, you know, diverse audiences coming to our racetrack. Our, right. You know, kind of year over year, our attendance, consumer attendance was up over 20%. Um, I'll take the 20% as well. Um, <laughs> stacking those pennies, aren't you? You're stacking those yeah, pennies. <laughs> exactly right. You know, we had, I think we had nine sellouts last year. We had four. Um, and next year we're going to have, you know, we hope to have 12, 13, 14. Um, and that's what we need to do. And that's, again, that that's the promise that we've made to, to all the partners who could, who participate in this, in this sport. Um, and we've invested significant dollars at our, our facilities in order to create a better fan experience. Um, it's important, you know, we're by end of next year, all of our facilities, um, our, our NASCAR tracks, um, will have Wi-Fi. Um, you know, it used to go to, you go to Talladega, you couldn't make a phone call. You, you can't get anything in and out of that place. So whatever happened in Talladega, I guess stayed in Talladega, but not anymore. Um, yeah. Because this past year at Talladega, you could send videos, you could you know, do social media, whatever you wanted to do, um, you can do it. And so you know, we're going to spend 
um, almost $50 million in Wi-Fi next year, upgrading our facilities. It's important to be able to do that because um, that's the expectations of people when they go to the facility is that they can post, right? They can communicate to people who are not there and share the great experience that they're having. And so well, that's your best advertisement you can buy. <laughs> I agree. I yeah. agree. Paul, I'd like to open the uh, here, if you don't mind, if you have a question for, for Steve right here in regards to this diversity, because I know that, you know, across the different racing series you're associated with also, uh, this is a big thing that's going on within the industry. Yes. Well, thank you. I feel like I'm, I'm sitting in a room with uh, uh, two people I admire very much and, and your accomplishments, both of you and what you've done here uh, are inspiring to me. And one of the best days of my year this past year was going to the Coliseum and looking the, at the vibrancy of that event and, Talking to the fans, I walked the perimeter of the Coliseum, but I was there for the first Supercross race way back when, you know, uh, in the 70s. Uh, and what I saw was this diverse, young audience of people who may have come for the music, but the kids were running up the, the aisle to go see the race cars, and they were full of joy and expectation. And uh, I realized at that moment, when I was standing there looking at the, it was a group family with young people that NASCAR has this ultimate weapon to, to drop into any major metro in the world and tell the story of American racing and what's so special about it. Is there a plan eventually to do what the NFL does and do an all-star or special event internationally with? I think with the, uh, the answer, product? yeah, I think the answer to that, Paul, is yes. And the, but the question is, is when? Um, I thought the Coliseum event, not, not to evade your question, but I will get back to it. I think the Coliseum was something special. It was a, it was a proof point for us that you could, in a four-week period of time, you could build a racetrack inside a stadium, um, yeah. which I believe, you know, Amazing. Is, is a proof point for us both domestically and internationally. Um, and obviously, I was at that event too, Paul. I was struck by, you know, you talk about different faces and young people. But clearly, all of that, which was which was heartwarming, but. I have never been to a race where competitors, NASCAR officials, every single person in our industry was happy. I have never been to a, another <laughs> race. Usually something goes wrong, right? And yeah. someone's mad about something. There were smiles. Everyone was happy. I've never, I'd never seen it. Um, and it was, uh, it was a great event. It was just so fun. We're excited to go back. Um, you know, is, is that a, is that a long-term thing for us? I don't know. Um, could we move it to other places? That is a you know hundred-year iconic facility, which is a very cool thing. We actually broke ground. Um, I don't know if you call it breaking ground when you're you're creating a a, a new racetrack um, and and tearing up a football field, but on the hundred-year anniversary of that facility um, and the groundbreaking of that facility, so that was just a really cool a cool deal for us. Um, but I think internet to answer your question, I, I do think international, um, you know, we've got grassroots series in, in Canada, Mexico, Europe. We just announced grassroots series of partnership in Brazil, you know, grassroots, I think is an important thing for us, both grassroots in this country. And we really tried to lean in on grassroots in this country because we understand the importance. First NASCAR I went race, I went to, you know, was in, was in Vermont and I went with my dad when I was five years old. 
that was a short track. You know, it was a, a quarter mile or a third of a mile asphalt track. And it, it you, you going to the big tracks, right? Going to Daytona or wherever, that's a, that's a different experience, right? But the grassroots is where it's, it, it's where you, you earn that, learn the passion that is motorsports. The smells, the sights, the sounds, all of it is, is, is what we love about, about motorsports and then the competitive nature of it, obviously. But I do think internationally, there are some opportunities for us um, working with our race teams to try to create, um, you know, opportunities outside of these borders. Um, other series do it, you know, we can certainly do it too. So um, obviously did an exhibition event in, in Japan back in the late nineties. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but, you know, it, it goes back to schedule variation. And I think we, there certainly, it was interesting after the Coliseum and Chicago street course, the number of calls that we're getting from people around the world saying, Hey, well, we're, we're interested, um, which is fantastic, right? Um, and that goes back to the reputation, the relevance that the sport now has, right? Whether it's NASCAR or motorsports broadly. Um, and it's, it's, um, it feels good, but we had a lot, of, a lot of work to do still, and there's tons of opportunity for us. And that's the most exciting part about it. I wanted to when you talk up. about that excitement, uh, I got a chance to interview Fernando Giulianelli, the CEO of, of Brazil Race, you know, and and the, I was just kind of blown away with it, with how well organized they are down there, and they got some awesome looking race cars. They got un unbelievable car count, and, and it, right now, Steve, you know, you guys are racing in twelve different countries in in twenty twenty three. I mean, you, you mentioned it, and we've already getting people asking us about, you know, what are your international plans in the future in Mexico and Canada? I mean, you're there. It's just a matter of, you know, how much more or is it going to evolve and how will it affect, you know, what, what they're in that country, what they can they expect and what can we expect here in the United States from it? Yeah, I think there's just a lot of opportunity internationally, Jeff, and, you know, O'Donnell and, uh, you know, Chad Siegler and you know, the group that runs uh, NASCAR International are, you know, they're exploring a lot of different things. And, um, but it's, it's, we're very fortunate because we have significant opportunity domestically, still lots of opportunity. And then, and we'll take advantage of those and there's lots of opportunity internationally as well. Um, so we'll, again, we'll work with our race teams and our industry to determine what's the best and most meaningful way to grow this sport. Cause that's for us, that's our North star. Like literally as we are building our business plans, you know, our, our mission statement is, to grow this sport. It's not to, it's not about profitability. It's not about, it, it's growing the sport. Um, and so everything that we do needs to ladder up to that. Um, Cause that's, to me, that's what a sanctioning body's responsibility is. Um, first and foremost, it, it, and I'm not suggesting that profitability is not important, um, but it's really about, about the growth of the sport, um, finding new fans, entertaining the fans that you have and nurturing them to, um, to want to participate more and engage more in your sport. That's, that's what we do. Can I, can I ask another question here? Because we, we see something on racer.com. We, we, we track all the metrics, every last metric down, you know, minute detail, really in an effort to try to understand the audience energy, you know, and 
one of the most amazing things about NASCAR uh, on our racer.com and social platforms, no one touches NASCAR in terms of the surge of energy about a particular story uh, or sometimes it's a news item about someone being disqualified or a conflict, whatever. You know, the largest traffic days we've ever had have been related to NASCAR stories where we've had over 200,000, uh, one over 300,000 visitors in a single day to our site on a NASCAR story. And what that's driven by is the audience is sharing the story. Right. And, you know, harnessing that, is there a strategy? Because something's very different about NASCAR uh, fans from the other fans that come to our website. They yeah, are think- almost as if they're 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 your medium they are on yeah i think in this in this era of social media and i I, listen i I, (laughs) social media is important um the medium itself i think it it can be difficult um yes you know but i won't get into that but i i do think it is interesting whether you're talking about you know racer you're talking about nascar.com or any of these other sites what things ring the bell so what we do we do the same tracking so what we'll do is we'll have the folks that run nascar.com they'll see what things are working right and where things and they'll position things um you know differently on the page in order to take advantage of what those things are so you have something obviously you know ross chastain makes his move in martinsville okay that's going to get a few views. <laughs> Um, but it is interesting, those things that are, you know, Tuesday penalties that come out or whatever it is. And it's an engaged fan, fan base who, you know, wants to talk about the injustices of what NASCAR has done and, or others that would suggest that I find it funny on the same topic, you have a whole group of people who are saying, I can't believe they did that. That's unfair, right? They shouldn't have done that. And a whole group of people over on the other side saying it should have been more. They should have suspended him for, you know, for, for a lifetime or whatever that might be. It's just a, but that's what it is, Paul. It's the passion of the audience, right? And I think the cool thing for us are sports like the NFL that have kind of weekly events. Um, you know, obviously we raced at different times throughout the weekend, but it, I, if you think about it as a weekly event, as opposed to a baseball game where you're going to have a baseball game tomorrow and the day after that, or an NBA, NBA game, every other game, the appointment viewing, I think is important, but it also provides significant opportunities for us um, during the week. Um, and that really is the secret sauce for us. And we need to do a better job of engaging the audience, frankly, Monday through Thursday. Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a stated goal. And I think the way to do that is to create better content. So the USA show, uh, race for the championship, I thought was terrific. Um, and you know, it was, um, it was a good first pass. I know people, you know, compare it to, you know, what F1 has done and drive to drive to survive. And it was the first foray for us. Um, and, and I think a, actually not the first, but, but an important step for us. And I think access to see behind the scenes and understand who these drivers are. I mean, our, our champion, Joey Logano, I think people have a newfound respect for Joey. Right. And he said, he says it himself, you know, when that helmet goes on, he is a different guy. Um, you know, I ran into him last night, you know, he and Brittany, and they're just, 
they're just lovely people. Um, they're just really nice. Um, and he cares about this sport a great deal. And he's a great ambassador for this sport, but you know, he, he puts on that helmet and, you know, get out of the way because <laughs> he's going he's coming. Um, uh, he's a terrific, ter terrific race car driver, obviously. So, but I think this idea of social media and stories that are, that are on, you know, racer.com or nascar.com or any of the other um, outlets that cover the sport, they're so important. Um, but this extension that is social media is important as well. Um, because, uh, you know, at one time, it was the only place was the outlets themselves. But now these fans are curating their own content, good, bad, other, whatever it might be. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's here and it's here to stay, but it doesn't take the place of the, in my opinion, of, of the rich content um, that comes from people um, in this industry and our media specifically that drive interesting stories. Um, and, I'm glad to and, hear challenge, that. and challenge, right? Challenge yeah. us, challenge sanctioning body, challenge race teams, drivers. Um, that's what they do. And it keeps everyone um, on their toes and, and, and moving things forward. Um, and I think that's important. Well, thank you again, because uh, Kelly Crandall, who covers NASCAR yeah. for Racer, uh, and she does a terrific job. She and, does. Uh, you know, I, I'm always uh, pleased to see that when we do the, the monthly stats, she's at the very top of the stat chart. And your yeah, audience describes this. And our audience has gotten significantly younger and more female during the last year. Um, uh, and something profound is happening. I'm seeing NASCAR apparel on young people in the LA market. They're wearing, they're they're wearing NASCAR as fashion. Uh, so, something's changed. No, I I agree, and it's um, and I think it builds on itself. So we take um, the race for the championship. Over sixty percent of the audience were women, and and about fifteen years younger than the folks that are watching, you know, on Sundays. Um, so it's important for us to continue that content, right? It's important for us to continue to feed those, you know, kind of fledgling new fans, um, but not do it at the expense of the existing fans, which I think is really important. Um, yeah. And I think we didn't do a very good job of that, you know, kind of in the mid 2000s. Um, we were so interested in finding that new fan that we kind of turned our back a little bit on the on the, the existing fans. and. <laughs> And we, and we went away from, you know, grassroots and short tracks and, but we are back and we are back, you know, kind of in full force because it's, it's important to be able to do that. And what, what are existing, what do our existing fans, long-term fans want? They want great racing. So we're giving them that. They want young, uh, they want drivers throughout the spectrum, young drivers, older drivers, drivers that are compelling, right? So the number of new race fans that Ross Chastain had, has is incredible. And the number of fans that don't like him, that's great too. You know, we don't want people who are straddling in the middle and people are apathetic. We want people to want to cheer for this guy and hate that guy and that, because that's what the passion of, of motorsports is about. And, and that's what we're seeing. And I think um, our existing fans are, are thrilled or, or our you know, longtime fans are thrilled with the direction of, for the most part, the direction that the sport's going in. They love the new car, the comp competition on the racetrack, 
you know, these up and coming drivers, um, young drivers competing with, you know, first ballot Hall of Famers, um, which and we have a lot of them, frankly, you know, yeah. Harvick and, um, you know, Kyle Bush. I have a question for both of you, and I'll, I'll step back. Um, you know, we, we see something else, too, that I don't see often in our metrics, because I look at the metrics every day, multiple times. Stories about crew chiefs generate sometimes a NASCAR crew chief is more of a celebrity than a top tier driver in other racing series. Why is that? Um, I'll let Jeff, I'll let Jeff, Jeff answer the question. You have you some secret sauce right you're sprinkling on your, your crew chiefs because I, you know, obviously I knew you, you're one of the first really famous crew, crew chiefs for people making the car go fast. Yeah. Why is this? I think part of it is, uh, honestly, I think it's because we were easily accessible along with the driver back in the early days. I mean, a lot like with Dale Lemon and Richard Petty. When Richard Petty was signing autographs, Dale Lemon was right there beside him because he couldn't leave till Richard got done anyway. So he might as well sign, you know, people wanted his autograph also. So he became an icon, not because he was just winning races. But he was, you know, uh, he was a guy that people just liked to talk to. Same way with Leonard Wood. Uh, when I came along with uh, Daryl Waltrip, you know, his personality kind of rubbed off on me. And, and I think that I, maybe I, you know, picked up a lot of fans because I was willing to, you know, to talk to people. I'd be willing to sign autographs also. And yeah. a lot of the crew chiefs today, they interact with the general public. I mean, I, I think Rodney Childers is a great example of that. I mean, he is, you know, not only showing what he and his family are doing, but he's showing the passion he has for racing because he's going back to start, you know, running his own, you know, uh, grassroots, you know, short track program because he likes to play a little bit. And you, and you see this across the board, uh, I think more so. And on, and on top of that, uh, let's face it, you know, Steve, you know, this drivers are so busy sometimes doing things for NASCAR and their sponsor, they're not readily available. So who do they fall back to the crew chief? And so sometimes crew chiefs are put up, you know, in front of audiences and needed to, you know, to go in and fill in or, you know, be a part of a television program. So they're getting fan following just because they've been exposed. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing is you got to realize and, and Steve touched on it with Talladega example. At one time, you couldn't get anything out of Talladega unless you had a carrier pigeon. And nowadays, mass media uh, is making it a lot easier uh, for and social media for fans to interact and, and connect with their with their favorite drivers, but also with the, their favorite crew chiefs. Yeah, but it's a whole other layer of of giving a reason for people to care. And you know, I've always you know someone once told me that the hardest thing in the world is to get someone to pay attention to something. Uh, the second hardest thing in the world is to hold their attention. And what I've noticed that, you know, some of what we talked about today, NASCAR holds the attention midweek better than any series we cover, period. No, no one comes close. Uh, uh, but the content that's holding the attention isn't all about the race car drivers. It's, it's, it's about the people that work on the race cars. It's almost as if we're talking to head coaches here, you know, uh, and there's something very different about the cultural dynamic of NASCAR that really works. Uh, I hope there's more of it. I, I think that the, the depth of a race team is, especially in NASCAR, very visible activity for the team. You know, you, the, and it's a very American thing to acknowledge the contribution of the team in a human and personal way. And 
that's an advantage for NASCAR compared to many other sport, motorsports of motorsport. They're, the layer, that layer is not as visible. Yeah, I think, Paul, I, I, one of the, one, I think it's the size of the audience. We have, we have a large audience um, yeah. and great, you know, large fan base and engaged fan base, but they're thirsty to understand what's happening, right? They, so if it's not just about Joey Logano, it's like, well, what is Paul, why did Paul Wolf make the decisions he made that enabled Joey to use his talent to go out and win the race or win the championship? But, you know, Paul and that, in that, and that crew, they're a massive part of the success. And I think that's hard for people who really don't understand motorsports to understand that the importance of, of the entire team that makes this thing go fast, right? Guys back at the shop, guys that are at the racetrack, um, you know, crew in the car or, or the crew chief and the strategic decisions that, that, um, that he's making. I think people just say, well, you know, hey, listen, Ross Chastain made a really cool move and it was all about Ross Chastain. Well, you know what? Ross was in a position because of his, you know, his crew all year in order to, to make that championship for. Now he makes a crazy move, right? And, you know, almost blacks out or whatever the hell he was doing in turns three and four. <laughs> um, and, he, you know, that's, that's a, it's something special, but it's, 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 you know, starts with Justin Marks, who I know is on, on here yesterday and permeates through that entire organization. Right. And, but our race fans are thirsty for the why, like, how did we get here? What, what is it that makes them go fast? Why did you make that decision? What are you doing midweek to prep the car in order to be ready to, to unload it when you get to Martinsville or wherever it might be. And those are, that's great. We need to give them more of that, frankly. I, I think that there's a lot more opportunity to do that. And I think content is, is the key to, to, to be able to do it. Yeah, I think I think the preparation and, and what it takes to get to Sunday uh, is a story that would uh, you know, would resonate very, very well, because there's a lot of back work from, you know, simulations to engineering you know, decisions. I mean, all the way down to the part that when you think about the, the very beginning of NASCAR, we're talking about stopwatches and clipboards. And today we're talking about, you know, multi um, computers, engineers, war rooms. I mean, when I talk about a war room, I mean, you think about every one of the major organization has a group of people sitting back at the shop helping to, you know, keep up with the rest of what's going on. I mean, they're not just watching their car, they're watching other cars and they're trying to figure out what strategy is ahead of the time so they can get off, se off sequence or get an advantage by not having to beat somebody off a pit road but stop by stopping earlier or even by stopping later. It depends on what the scenario is. And that chess game uh, is fascinating in its own right. Yeah, I'd say one thing. Well, Steve, that. before we get uh, going, I mean, I know we're starting to run down here on time. I need to ask you about one of the, uh, probably one of the number one questions we've had here uh, from some of our uh, attendees has to do with EV, electric vehicles. You know, where where is the, what's the future in NASCAR as far as uh, the timeline? We know that, you know, a lot of the OEMs are already working. They got electric cars. So, where do, where do they come into play when it comes to the NASCAR timeline? Yeah, I think the timeline, 
let's start with this. We we are working with our OEM partners, so I know that um, Ford and Toyota are going to be on here later today. Um, but Ford, uh, Chevy, and Toyota all have an interest in in EV. Um, you know, based on where their product lines are today or where they're going. Um, and you know, we think the, the good news for us is that we've got a number of lots of different series that that we can plan. Um, so we are working with our OEM partners to um, to explore what an EV series would be. Um, you know, we we have talked publicly that we are you know, potentially going to do a, an exhibition series potentially as soon as 2024. Um, we'll see where that where that goes. Um, there's a lot of interest, um, obviously, from our existing OEs. There are a lot of interest outside of our existing OEs. Um, and the reason why we're doing it, um, obviously, it's important to our OEM partners. But is there a market for it, right? So you've got Formula E out there and, and other series around the world that are, are using either hybrid technology or using um, all electric or battery electric we need to make sure as you know kind of the number one motorsport in this country that we are exploring what that could look like so is it is it going to be a part of our future um and you know racing you know 36 weeks a year i have no idea um but i think it's important for us to to understand whether our our race fans in particular are interested in in an ev series for nascar um, and does that work with its brand? Um, I do think noise as part of that is going to be important. Um, noise is a big part of our sport, and so uh, it's going to sound ridiculous, but you know, manufacturing noise, um, it, I think, is going to be an important part for for who we are. What that looks like is it throaty? Is it I, those things will all be worked out? But I, I do think noise will be a part of it. And you know, we're about entertainment, and so you know, we're not a you know, a, a one-stop technology platform, right? We were about entertaining race fans. Um, but I think that finding opportunities for new race fans um, that might enjoy a battery electric uh, vehicle series is something that, you know, we think we're, we need to invest in um, in order to explore whether it's going to work. Um, if it works, great. Um, and we will have a potentially a fourth national series or something that we can, you know, export internationally or wherever that might be. Um, but it's really the race fans are going to determine whether this is going to work or not. Um, but it's our, we think it's important to work with our OEs and ultimately our race teams, um, uh, you know, to, to look at this and see if it's viable. Well, I mean, it's like you said, you know, you think about it on this kind of, I, I would consider logic, that's the reason why we have dirt series. That's the reason why we have short track series. It's the reason why I have modified series. Everybody gets an opportunity to pick and choose what they'd like to watch. But at the same time, we all across the board can see uh, where the power horses are. You might say like Formula One or where it's World Rally, whether it's IndyCar, whether it's NASCAR, you know, the, the Cup Series. I mean, everybody, once again, has a choice and not the are not obvious picture of the, the, I guess you might say, of the world. It's just how much of it do they want to, you know, it, it's like you say, I don't think anything will ever replace, jump starts your engine or, you know, drivers start your engines. 
and not be excited about that roar. I agree. Steve, it really has been a, a pleasure to have you here today, but again, once that you have such a busy schedule. But before I let you get away, I want you to know I was watching TV last night and I was watching Tom Cruise movie in a ghost protocol, Mission Impossible. And it made me think about the original name. It's perfect because it made me think about a man who took on a mission that was virtually impossible. And in the last four years, you have been able to keep pulling off, you know, everything that needed to be done for this, for this organization, for this company. I mean, this sport owes a lot of gratitude to you. And I mean that sincerely because you keep doing missions that are impossible each and every day and keep moving the, the I guess, keep moving this bar higher and higher uh, for our sport. And it's such a great way. And I really do. I really enjoyed talking to you. I enjoy seeing you want to get around the racetrack or an event and get a chance to see you. But uh, you do a great job, sir. No, thank, thank you for those second, incredibly man. kind words. Very humbling. So we have, uh, you know, it, it does take a village. And we've got this industry is, as, as I said before, it's unlike anything else Um where I've worked at just really talented people who care about our sport um, and we'll keep pushing it. Thank you very much, Steve. Great honor to have you on the Race Industry 2022. Registering on EPAR Trade is easy. To start, click on the Join for Free button on the homepage. First, search your company to see if it's already in our database. If you see your company on the list, click on it to select it. Then, choose Claim Company if you are one of the decision makers, an owner, marketing person, or main company contact. Or choose Join Company if you are an employee, and press Continue. If you couldn't find your company in our database, select Register a New Company. On the following page, fill out your name, email, phone number, job title, and choose a secure password. If you chose Register a New Company, you'll need to choose your business type. Select Supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose Racing Business if you're looking to source new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose Race Team if you own or are a member of a professional race team. Then, enter your company name. Please provide a website, Facebook page, or LinkedIn if you have one, and choose to either claim or join the company. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Finally, click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. An email will be sent to your inbox. Please confirm your email address and you will be approved shortly. Welcome to ePartrade.